the Chris Cast is recorded live in front of no audience. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Chris Cast. I'm your host, Chris, and joining me through the Spotify for Podcasters app is Paul. Say hello, Paul. Um, is this Spotify for? I guess it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Hello, Paul. Paul's Paul's in the process of waking up over there. Well, I, it kind of confused me because we're going through Instagram with this. That's why I was kind of confused for a second. But just a little tease. We'll be going over some Christmas specials, a Christmas CD, and some new movies that came out this week. But as always, let's start with the food. I didn't even know it was a thing, but McCormick has announced its top flavor trend for 2024. Did you know okay. this was a thing? I had no idea. Well, apparently tamarind is the flavor for 2024. I don't even know what tamarind is. Repeat that again. This is from foodbusinessnews.net. The headline is tamarind tops McCormick's flavor trends for 2024. What's a tamarind? It's a spice. Okay, I'm going to Google this shit. Go ahead. It says, offering both sweet and tangy flavor notes, tamarind traditionally has been used in Latin American, Caribbean, and Mexican cuisines. The flavor of the year is now featured in McCormick's Tamarind and Pasilla Chile seasoning. It's, and its appeal as a global flavor has led to an increase in snacks using tamarind. That's all I can tell you. It looks like a bean pod. Yeah, I I really don't know anything about it. I just saw that it was the flavor of the year. It was something I'd never heard of, and I thought, hey, that might be interesting. It turns out it wasn't. What does tamarind taste like? A sweet and sour flavor that makes it popular in sweet and savory dishes. Its flavor has been compared to tangy lemon or lime balanced by a sweetness with caramel notes or a cross between a lemon, apricot, and dates. Some varieties of tamarind is sweeter. I'll try it. I've probably tried it in Mexican dishes and don't know it, but I have no clue. I never knew. One, I never knew there was a flavor of the year. And two, I don't know that I've heard of tamarind before. So, Yeah. Hmm. Moving on, did you see that Subway is going to be offering foot-long sidekicks? What? Foot-long? Foot-long sidekicks. You said foot at first. (laughs) Well, you know, we can't all be perfect, Paul. You of all people should know that. (laughs) That's the way you said it. Okay. Anyways, okay. Here we go. This, Footlong sidekicks. Okay, what what is that? This is from the article from Eat This Not That. It says Instagram account account at Snackolator just shared the news of a nationwide rollout of Subway's Footlong sidekicks. Three Footlong menu items that include a Cinnabon churro, an Auntie Anne's pretzel, and the already announced chocolate chip cookie. As noted by the Fast Food Insider. 
This news was first shared by a Reddit user who wrote that the menu items are slated to launch on January 18th. So they're going to be like serving dessert along with these? Well, it's the churro is $2. It's a Cinnabon churro. The pretzel is $3. And it comes with uh, they've got uh, some kind of mustard sauce beside of it. And then the foot-long cookie is $5. No, I've seen the, the commercial for the foot-long cookie somewhere. I've seen it. I don't remember. Maybe it was TikTok. But I've seen okay. the foot-long thing. Well, this, the account was Snackalators on Instagram. S-N-A-C-K-O-L-A-T-O-R. But uh, I mean, it's supposed to be nationwide January 18th. Yeah, the footlong cookie is going to look like a oblong oval chocolate chip cookie. I, I showed you the picture last week when we talked about it. Yeah. Last time. yeah. But, but yeah, the, I don't, I'm not real big on churros, but the pretzel looks kind of good. I wonder if they're going to be getting rid of their, you know, they, they cook those other cookies that's there at the end of the register when you're checking out. They have a little box and they have yeah. chocolate chocolate cookies and they have chocolate chip and they have chocolate raspberry and some kind of cheesecake cookies and lemon cookies. I wonder if they're going to get rid of those. Probably not. I hope not because those cookies are delicious. The sidekicks are, like I said, the footlong churro is $2, the footlong pretzel is $3, and the footlong cookie is $5. I don't see them replacing the regular cookies with the $5 foot-long cookie. Yeah, those, not are, those. those lemon cookies are just like, oh, heaven. I'm not big on lemon, so I've never had them. I like their chocolate chip. I like their white chocolate macadamia. I like the raspberry cheesecake. Do you like the chocolate chocolate? You know, the chocolate cookie with the white chocolate and the dark chocolate in it? I don't know if I've had those. They're, sometimes they're called dominoes. Those are really good. When I worked at the Great American Cookie Company, that's my go-to cookie whenever I, whenever I get there. I'm like, mm, give me some of them. And Snickerdoodle. Mm. See, I've never been big on Snickerdoodles either. I'm not a huge cinnamon fan. Like... Cinnamon's it's... actually really good for you for, um, if you've got problems with like sugar and stuff like that with diabetes it actually really helps your sugar levels well, next time, tablet form or add it to your coffee give me a teaspoonful of cinnamon well what i'm saying you could put it in your tea you could put it in like baked goods you can put it there's a lots of ways to incorporate cinnamon instead of just like taking it i put it in my coffee Coffee's already the stuff of the devil. Uh, whatever. <laughs> but moving on, let's, let's come back to that one. We'll go to the at-home Taco Bell SOS kit. This is from CraftHeinz.com. Get ready for Taco Bell at home. Did the Taco Bell craving strike? We've got you covered. Taco Bell SOS kits come stocked with essential Taco Bell faves needed to start satisfying your cravings no matter what time of day they kick in. Claim your kit below. 
Craveable goodness is just a few clicks away. What's included? The essential Taco Bell items needed to create fan-favorite menu offerings at home, plus an exclusive stain-resistant sheet for those who prefer to enjoy their Taco Bell in bed. Just add a protein or veggies, get comfortable, and dig in. I don't understand what's going on there. I'm trying to... I thought they would have the actual listing of what's in it. See, I pulled up Taco Bell at home, but it's pulling up... It's a Taco Bell recipe for copycat recipes for almost like Taco Bell. I mean, I can't find what you was talking about. Well, it, it took me to Amazon where it says currently unavailable. We don't know when or if this item will be back in stock. But it says about this item included the latest Taco Bell at home essentials, including the new mild and hot flavored crunchy taco shells, fan favorite mild hot fire and Diablo sauces, original and fajita seasoning packets. To enjoy, just add a protein and or veggies and enjoy delicious Taco Bell from the comfort of your home. Stain-resistant sheet. The limited edition twin XL sheet is designed to catch spills while enjoying Taco Bell at home creations. The sheet is 100% polyester and treated with a stain-resistant coating. Sheet cleaning instructions. Washing machine safe. Wash in cold water with light colors and tumble dry on low. In order to maintain the stain-resistant coating, do not use bleach for iron the sheet. And I noticed... One significant thing about that sheet is it's a twin sheet. Twin extra so basically, basically, they're saying you're a loser who's by yourself, so we're selling you this packet. Well, not exactly, because that's the size of sheet you need for a king-size dual-adjustable bed. It's a twin extra long for each, each side of the bed. So that's what you'd need for that. So it's actually for a king-size bed. If you got a, if you got a it's only one. Bed. You only get one half of it. Oh. Well, I'm sure you can buy another one. So, anyways, that's that's the Taco Bell kit. And that brings us back to the one I skipped, which there was a reason I skipped it. It's because I've got two items from McDonald's. First up, this is from Today.com. McDonald's is developing a new version of the snack wrap. And from what I understood by reading this article, they had the grilled chicken and the crispy chicken snack wraps. I when they that. bring them back, it will only be the crispy chicken. The grilled chicken will no longer be available. When are they going to be doing this? It's offering it around the world by the end of 2025. So it's 2025? Worldwide rollout. That's around the world on by 2025. Well, the hell, that's giving them a whole year next year to do it. But it, it doesn't say which countries win. And I think it's already in Canada from what I read earlier, which if it's already in Canada, it'll probably be coming to the U.S. pretty soon. There's a quote in here. It says, in the U.S. business, we have three really strong chicken brands between McChicken, Chicken McNuggets, and obviously McCrispy. But with McCrispy, we're in the early days really building that brand and so looking forward. Will we eventually have a crispy tender? Yes. And will that allow us to eventually have a McCrispy snack wrap? Yes. 
but we're still in the early days of doing that. So there you go. But other McDonald's news is they are opening a chain called Cosmics. C-O-S-M-C apostrophe S. Okay. It is basically a Starbucks. Really? This, this is from the, the usatoday.com. McDonald's nostalgia-heavy restaurant spinoff has got fast food fans waiting anxiously for an official debut date. Announced by McDonald's CEO and President Christopher Kempzinski during the company's second quarter earnings call in July, the new limited chain titled Cosmics is set to unveil in limited locations in early 2024. Seemingly capitalizing on nostalgia, a move that has proven fruitful for the chain in recent months, the restaurants will have theming inspired by an alien character named Cosmic, who appeared in McDonald's commercials and advertisements from 1986 to 1992. However, one curious person who stumbled across a yet-to-open location in Illinois may have managed to get the internet a quick sneak peek of what is to come. Here's what we know so far about the galactic new venture, which this is not sounding like Starbucks, which is what I was what I read initially on this. So it may have, that report may have been wrong. It says, Cosmics is a new spinoff restaurant from McDonald's. Kim Ziske described it as a, quote, small format concept with all the DNA of McDonald's, but its own unique personality. It seems the company plans to lean into the space-based futurism of the past aesthetic associated with Cosmics' character from the late 80s and early 90s. McDonald's has had success with the nostalgia market lately, having rolled out adult happy meals last year before reintroducing the Hamburglar in April and Grimace in June with a special birthday meal and a purple shake. Yeah, but the, when they wrote re, when they rolled out the Hamburglar earlier this year, he had like multiple heads or eyes or something. It was just strange looking. The, they do have the menu categories. It's cosmcs.com slash menu signature galactic boosts sour cherry energy burst berry hibiscus sour aid and blueberry ginger boost also island pick me up punch iced teas and lemonades tropical spice aid sour tango lemonade island pick me up punch berry hibiscus sour aid blackberry mint green tea now that sounds good to me sweet tea, half and half, iced black tea, iced green tea, and blueberry ginger boost. I didn't hear very much coffee to begin with. Well, this is, I mean, there's it's signature galactic boosts, iced teas and lemonades, slushes and frappes, brews from the McDonald's Universe, sandwiches, bites, and it keeps on going. But let's get down here. There's a churro frappe and a cold brew frappe. And the brews, it's turmeric spiced latte, cappuccino latte, chai tea latte, mocha, brewed coffee, black tea, green tea, peppermint tea, and hot chocolate. And it keeps going iced turmeric spiced latte, s'mores cold brew, cold brew, Iced latte, iced chai tea latte, iced coffee, iced mocha, iced black tea, sweet tea, and iced oh, green tea. Okay, so they have a pretty good menu. Okay. 
Sounds good. And they've got breakfast sandwiches too. So, because the from the McDonald's universe, egg McMuffin, sausage McMuffin with egg, bacon McMuffin with egg, Oreo McFlurry, and M and M's McFlurry. Spicy queso sandwich, creamy avocado, tomato tio, or tomatillo sandwich, egg McMuffin, bacon McMuffin with egg, sausage McMuffin with egg. Okay, sounds good. So it's it is. I see where they were saying Starbucks. I mean, there's there's definitely a similarity. Yeah, I would I would say kind of more along the lines of Dunkin' than Starbucks because of the breakfast items that, and there's more variety than what I know of Starbucks having. Well, plus Dunkin' has donuts. I didn't hear no donuts from them. No, but there's all kinds of desserts. That's that's what I was going with Dunkin' Donuts. Because they've got ice creams and all kinds of stuff. Citrus and cream shake. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how they go up against Starbucks. So yeah, it, it definitely because, sounds like it's it's gonna give them a little bit of a run for the money. Because Starbucks has some die hard fans for sure. But did you have any food items? Because I've got one more thing that's food related, but not food. No. Well, this last one is from fastcasual.com. Wingstop launches spicy couples card game. It's sweet or heat date night questions for wing lovers. It says to bring awareness to its seasonal limited time flavor, maple sriracha. Wayne Stop has designed a game to help couples connect over their love of the new flavor, according to a company press release. The Sweet or Heat card game prompts couples to sweeten their conversation or turn up the heat and is available to the first 350 fans to claim it at sweetorheat.com at noon Thursday. And this article, I believe, is from today because that's when I didn't see it until today. No, it's from December 5th, so you're probably out of luck at this point. <laughs> I, I honestly did not see the article until today. But I just I don't see a point in getting that game personally. You ever been? Oh, there's no reason for you to go to Wingstop. Actually, there is. You need to try their potato wedges. Oh my god, they're so delicious. But um the, the wing stop right there at the furniture mart where I work at is so super tiny. Most people gets their food to go. I well, mean, it's that, tiny. Isn't that everything there? What? The get it to go? Because the only place I know of is that like where the coffee thing is, you've got those tables set up just out on the floor. What, what are you talking about? It's one of the entrances in the back. There's a coffee place, and there's like tables set up just out on the floor. Oh, you're talking about the coffee coffee shop inside the the building. Yeah, uh, I'm talking about there's a strip mall adjacent to our building with a wing stop there. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm... there's a stop right there beside the building, and one of that, that strip mall beside the building. And it's basically get everything to go. But yeah, there there's a pretty good dining section in there at that coffee shop. I'd say you probably could sit about 40 people. Right. Wingstop just doesn't seem like the 
the biggest restaurant to me because you don't hear much about it. Well, it's not, they don't do a lot of advertising, but there, there's no reason to do a lot of advertising because that's how good their food is. I've, I mean, it is really, really good. It's a little expensive for lunch, but if you're like really craving it, that is some of the best bonus wings I've ever had and the, by far the best potato wedges ever. It is just delicious. Uh, there's, I was just curious. I looked up Wingstop Vegetarian and dietmenus.com has Wingstop Vegetarian menu. There are seven vegetarian items at Wingstop, all of which are side dishes. The good news for vegetarians is that Wingstop offers four different types of fries, all of which are suitable for vegetarians. Choose from seasoned fries, cheese fries, Louisiana voodoo fries, or buffalo ranch fries. You can also order Cajun fried corn, fresh baked roll, and a portion of veggie sticks. Round out your meal with something sweet with a triple chocolate chunk brownie. Now, I've tried that Cajun fried corn, and that is some damn good corn. And none of it really sounds all that great to me. Now, cheese fries, maybe, but when you throw the season on there, it's probably spicy, which I don't like. Well, the Cajun fried corn ain't really spicy. It's just got garlic and onion flavors. And and plus, they, it looks like they pull the cob back and chop that off. Or not pull the, pull the husk back. And they like put it in a pan and sear it on the edges with those seasonings. And that is really good. I don't know. I'm, I'm not the biggest corn fan in the world either, so... But what I do like is one of the girls I worked with told me about Mexican street corn. So I looked up a, a recipe for making it in a skillet. And I do like that. Have you ever had Mexican street corn? Yeah, I have. And you freeze framed on my side, by the way. I don't know why. You're, you're still going on mine, but I'm frozen. So yeah, I don't know. But, eh. Anyways, whatever. It is what it is. We don't need the video necessarily. But especially since you can look things up. I can still see you. <laughs> you're sticking at your tongue. Just, just letting you know. I, I can see you. But for, for those out there in podcast land, of course, we are going by the Facebook messenger for the video. And it messes up frequently. So... I may unfreeze later. I may just stay frozen until we end the call and call back. But until then, I, moving on, I do have one, a discovery in the UK. This is from Business Insider. Massive skull of prehistoric sea monster that was the, quote, ultimate killing machine discovered in UK. To give you an idea, this dinosaur had a skull that was over seven feet long. Good God. The, the bullet points on this article, a seven-foot skull belonging to an ancient sea monster was discovered in Dorset. The pliosaur was an apex predator that roamed in the ocean 150 million years ago. The skull contains 130 razor-sharp teeth that could instantly kill its prey. You ever watched Jurassic World... 
Unfortunately, you know my opinion on Jurassic. No, what I'm saying is, I wonder if it's like anything like that sea creature that they had at Jurassic World that got up and ate the Tyrannosaur. Well, no, you can look it up real quick. It's, it's not Pliosaur, P-L-I-O-S-A-U-R. Not the Tyrannosaur, but the other one, the apex predator they made on the on that one who got up out of the water and got him and pulled him down. I See, I don't remember. Like I just remember it popping out. It it looks like it could be that same thing, but I don't. I really don't know. Seven foot skull. Uh. Dinosaur. There we go. It's Pliosaur. P-L-I-O-S-A-U-R. It's it's almost like a a dolphin mixed with a manatee kind of look to it. Oh, there it is. Pliosaur skull. Here we go. Ooh. You see what I'm saying about looking like a dolphin mixed with a manatee, kind of? Yeah, I just pulled it up on CNN. That's what it looks like, that thing from Jurassic Park. But Could you imagine? I always, find it, I always find it interesting when they add another or find another creature from the past. Can you imagine having a, being like back in, uh, being a Neanderthal and, you know, you're walking around and you thought I want to go take a swim and all of a sudden that damn thing comes up. <laughs> Fuck this. Wow. Did they say how long it is? Uh, they, the, what I read, because I, I already closed out the article. Oh, what earlier is... could get up to five, 50 foot in length. But they said they they think the body is underneath the cliff. So, wow! But I just I, I found it kind of interesting. I wanted to talk about it for a little bit. But you ready to move on to entertainment? Yeah, sure. Uh, there's a new trend is starting, which I don't know if you looked at the article I sent you earlier about the. The benefits from Disney Plus, but Disney Plus is now offering like a half price subscription to Walmart Plus with their service. And with Walmart Plus, you get Paramount Plus as part of their service. So it's all kinds of bundling together there. And then Paramount stock shot way up from the talks that they are apparently having with Apple because it looks like they may be bundling Apple TV Plus with Paramount Plus in the in the near future. Well, that would be a good idea even though um, I don't know if I got Apple TV Plus or not since I've got an iPhone. I think I can't I don't remember if I paid for it. I don't know. I can't remember. I, I think you do with Apple. Like Apple products, you get the the Apple TV Plus as part of it. Yeah. But I just I don't really see Apple TV as being a huge 
success? Well, with them buying up rights to shit left and right that pisses me off, um, they're going to end up pissing off a lot of people. Well, the only thing that I know that they have is the Charlie Brown stuff. Yeah, namely the Charlie Brown stuff that they're not allowing to air. Well, they, they do allow PBS to air it. They just don't allow it to be on demand. Or at least they had been letting PBS air it. I don't know if they still are this year or not. No, but you can't find Christmas nowhere. I just, I buy it for myself and then I don't ever have to worry about where to find it. So it's on my voodoo. Oh, is it? Yep. Okay, I might have to get on there and stream it. Because that's the thing, all these people complain about, oh, well, it's leaving this service. You know, that's been done from the start. Because if you recall, Max started as HBO Max, and they had the Harry Potter movies. Shortly thereafter, the Harry Potter movies went to Peacock. Shortly thereafter, they went back to Max. Then they went back to Peacock. And I think they're currently on Max, and I don't know when they'll go back to Peacock, but I'm sure they will. And now... They're, they're, they're licensing a bunch of the DC stuff to Netflix now as well. Like, I know Wonder Woman 84 is on there. Shazam Fury of the Gods is on there. The Suicide Squad is on there. So, and then Disney, Bob Iger said that they would never license out Marvel and Star Wars. And I'm like, y'all already kind of have. Yeah, Netflix had it for a long time. And and they license it out to TBS because TBS shows Star Wars a lot. That's a Warner Brothers owned company. So, I mean, is they're all licensing them out? They just may not license them to other streamers, but they have because Daredevil, even though it was a Fox film, not Marvel Cinematic Universe, it was on Max not too long ago. I don't know if it still is or not, but. So they all do it, whether they say they do or not. But moving on, I saw on Entertainment Tonight earlier, well, I guess it was last week, that they are bringing Stupid Pet Tricks as a show to TBS. And it's actually got a web page or the, the page on the TBS site. It says, About. Hosted by comedy legend Sarah Silverman, a reimagining of the iconic segment from The Late Show with David Letterman. The series features Silverman, a fierce lover of funny animals and their equally funny humans, in this fresh comedy variety show filled with big laughs, extraordinary animals, and of course, the most stupid pet tricks out there. I would be so for this if it were David Letterman. But since it's Sarah Silverman... I might watch it, I might not. Yeah. But if it was David Letterman, I would be all over that show. Well, he's got his own show now. Well, he's got a show that he films like four and calls it a day and they go on to Netflix, which I yeah. still love, but I, I can never get enough days. And moving on, DarkHorse.com, Dark Horse Comics, their article, Mark Miller's Miller World moves to Dark Horse Comics with Nemesis Rogues Gallery and more. Over 20 iconic franchises and 40 individual volumes moving to new pub publisher. 
also launching huge slate of Netflix titles starting in 2024. And that was the thing that I was curious about was Netflix bought Miller World and they did Jupiter's Legacy and had plans to do all these shows and movies and actually publish new comics. Yeah. I don't know how, and it, I didn't really see anything in this article talking about Netflix's ownership of Miller World. So I don't know how all that's going to work. I don't know if it's going to eliminate Netflix doing more, if it's going to push Netflix to do more because they're having actual Netflix titles on here. So who knows? But Miller World is going to Dark Horse Comics for the time being. And then finally, before we get to bad news, I want to talk about the the historic Billboard charts this year. We had Dolly Parton hit number one on several different album charts with her rock star album. Dolly is 77 years old. Cher released a Christmas CD, which we'll be talking about in the next half, at 77 years old and topped the charts. And then, of course, the new number one Christmas song for the first time ever, Brenda Lee's Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree has hit number one on Billboard charts. Brenda Lee at 78 years old. In the United States, not the world. It don't matter. We're not talking about that Mariah scary crap. Because Mariah crap A can just go away. In the world, it's still Mariah Carey. We are talking about Brenda Lee and the amazing accomplishment she had. The song was released in what, 1964? Do you want to know the reason why it's doing so good? Because it's a great song? Well, not besides that, she did something with it, though. Oh, are you talking about that new music video that's on YouTube? Yeah, the video she released for it. It's actually really cute. Trisha Yearwood and the rest of them other stars on it. Yeah. That's the reason why it's doing so good. It's a cute video. It's a great song, though. It really is. Yeah. And Did you ever watch the video? I have. I've watched it once. Really the video, cool. I was thought was just kind of meh. But I've but always it, liked it. It's okay. I mean, you know, but it's she looks good. But I just I read in this article is from KCRW.com that I've got pulled up, but Rocking Around the Christmas Tree is celebrating its 65th anniversary. It took it 65 years, but it finally hit number one. I find it amazing that all these old Christmas songs are making a comeback. Like, like I said, I saw the Billboard charts. Hers was number one. Mariah Carey's number two. Number three was, I can't remember who, but there's all Christmas songs. And number four was Wham's uh, Last Christmas. And then it kind of started going into regular music at that point. Um, but the top four slots was Christmas music that had been out for years. Like Mariah Carey's Christmas song has been out over 25 years now, and she's still hitting the top charts with it. Well, I want, I'm going to play just a, a bit because. 
I don't want to get copyright infringement or anything, but I do. There's one remake of Rocking Around the Christmas Tree that I really did enjoy. And you won't be surprised when you hear who the artist is. But her Christmas album was so fantastic that I just I think people should hear her version. And it's a different style. Like a lot of people remake a song and remake it in the same style. No, Cindy Lauper went full on her own way of doing it. And here's just a little taste of it. Hold on. We do not own the rights to this music. I just I love the fact that it's kind of a calypso type beat to it. Yeah, it kind of sounds strange on my end. But that's just a little taste of Cindy's version. And like I said, I didn't want to be copyright infringing, but I did want people to hear that Cindy has a completely different take on it. And Cindy's version, her album was out in like 1997. So it's been around for a while. If it, if you haven't listened to Cindy Lauper's Christmas album, I highly recommend it. It's on Spotify. I've talked about it every year. My favorite song on the album is called Minnie and Santa. And it's the, some of the lines from the song are, I worked with a woman named Minnie one Christmas Eve long ago. I asked what you're doing this evening. Minnie took on a seasonal glow. She said she'd be waiting for Santa. She'd be wearing a bright red bow. And then later on, she says she'll be laying in wait on the bare skin rug where the cookies and milk can be seen. And that's just typical Cindy Lauper right there for you. But it's such a fun song, and I love it. Sounds and like she's trying to seduce Santa. No, Minnie. She was talking about Minnie. Minnie Claus. Oh. But at, at the end of the song, Minnie has gotten married to, or getting married to Santa. Because she sees the the cake with the woman on top and the silk stockings and lace. It's, her album, she has several original songs on the album, which I love that fact. And she does different takes on the songs that she does that other people did, which I also love. Like She gives a new flavor to them instead of just re-recording the same style. So I think of the 11 songs, seven of them were original. Something like that is what I counted one time. But Anybody who records a new album, a new Christmas album, if they're not going to record new Christmas songs, then why bother? Like, seriously, how many times do you need Jingle Bells recorded? Well, we're going to talk about Cher's album. So I, I, she, yep. I think she knocked it out of the ballpark. So. Well, we will, we will definitely discuss Cher when we come back on the second half because it's a review. But moving on, we've got just a couple of one of them is gone. I must have closed it out accidentally. Let me pull it back up. But a couple of medical reports. First up, this is from fox59.com. Home Alone and Seinfeld actor diagnosed with cancer, family says. Ken Hudson Campbell, a character whose credits include Home Alone, Armageddon, and Groundhog Day, was recently diagnosed with cancer, his family has revealed. 
Campbell, who is also who also appeared in a memorable episode of Seinfeld where he played a new dad who chose to name his child Seven, much to the anguish of George Costanza, was reportedly diagnosed in late October after doctors discovered, quote, a tumor had elusively grown on the bottom of his mouth and it began encroaching his on his teeth, according to a statement included with a GoFundMe fundraiser organized by his family. He says, you may know Ken from his roles as Santa in Home Alone, the guy Bill Murray kisses in Groundhog Day, or in Armageddon where the, his character loses his life saving the world from a giant asteroid. Now we need the world's help to save Ken, the statement continued. So, and the Santa is the one that's getting in the car in Home Alone. Yeah, I remember that. So... But I definitely hate to hear that, and I hope he gets the treatment that he needs. But another one that I had, trying to find the article that I had pulled up. Well, this is straight from Google from ABC7 Chicago. In June of this year, Shannon Doherty announced on social media that cancer had spread to her brain and now her bones. Previously, the Charm star was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2015 that went into remission two years later. In 2020, Doherty announced the cancer had returned, spread, and was stage four. And I saw not only was she battling brain tumors and having the surgeries and everything, but she found out that her husband was cheating on her at the same time. Oh, bastard. So, you know, Shannon Doherty has had her issues through the years, but she doesn't deserve this. And I wish her well. I hope she has a full recovery and heals very well and gets back to 100%. Chris. But. Chris. What? There's no recovery from bone cancer. But that's what I'm saying. It's. I still hope for it. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, and the prognosis is not good. So that's why I've got my mom, and she is doing a podcast, so she is healthy enough to actually do that. But it's just—it's not a good story at all. No. And then I only have two just to talk about. One we're going to celebrate the achievements of, but first up, I'm going to talk about this one from ET Online. Ryan O'Neill, Paper Moon and Love Story star, dead at 82. Says the Oscar-nominated actor previously battled pancreatic cancer. And it said, in something I read, it was, I think, 2003 or something like that, he ended up with leukemia. And then in 2012, I believe it was, started battling pancreatic cancer. So he he had a rough time. Of course, most people like me know him from Love Story. That's like the biggest thing that I know of that he did. He was also Farrah Fawcett's significant other at the time of her passing. Or had rekindled or something when she was passing. I can't remember exactly. I know they had dated for a while, though. But 
just some of the other movies that he had been in what's up doc paper moon barry linden a bridge too far the main event and the driver did you have any memories of ryan o'neill i knew i knew him from somewhere but as soon as you said fair faucet's husband or boyfriend i thought oh that's where i know him from because that's the only way this article talks about his his early career. It says in the late 1950s, the family moved to Germany where Ryan graduated from high school. He later returned to the States and began working as an actor landing guest appearances on, of all things, The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis, The Untouchables, General Electric Theater, Leave It to Beaver, and several other TV series. So he was in some high profile shows there. It says he was cast in a recurring role on the series Empire in 1963 which led to more small roles on the likes to Perry Mason and European Eye before booking the role of Rodney Harrington on the mild on the mid-60s soap opera Peyton Place. And I don't know if you ever watched the Untouchables series, but I did love it. No. And I thought it was a great show. I loved the original with Robert Stack, and I loved the remake they did in the 90s on syndication. Yeah, I didn't watch that. And then finally, the the one we're going to celebrate, because let's face it, we all knew it was coming sometime soon because he was 101 years old. But just the thought of actually making it to 101 years old. Of course, I'm talking about the legendary Norman Lear. And just... Just a taste of his shows. All in the Family, The Jeffersons, Maude, Good Times, Archie Bunker's Place, Sanford and Son, The Facts of Life, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. I mean, just those shows alone. Huge. Like, I couldn't get into Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. I tried to watch it. But it was a huge hit when it was on. Of his stuff... My favorites would be between The Jeffersons and The Facts of Life. I love both shows. Still watch both shows. Still love both shows. What, what would you say would be your favorite from Norman Lear? I would say what you just said, The Jeffersons and The Facts of Life, because I really love those shows. And of course, Good Times. I loved it too, but it was, it, it was not as good to me as the Jeffersons and the Tax of Life. I was going to say, Good Times was okay, but it was very, to me it's kind of a little bit dark because it was showing, you know, it's showing poor people how to live. How poor people live. I mean, really, mm-hmm. that's what we're doing. That was, that was the other thing was Norman Lear was groundbreaking in actually showing what society was really like. Yeah. Like, we got see showing, both sides. How you know, you lived in the projects. So, um, the Jeffersons and um, Sanford and Son was probably my favorite. Well, and you know, Louise Jefferson was the bunker's mate before they moved on up to the east side. I remember that. So, he he definitely spanned, spanned a lot from each other. Of course, Charlotte Ray's Mrs. Garrett. He started her on different strokes. Oh, yeah. 
which they don't even have different strokes listed here, but there was another Norman Lear show. So, did he have anything to wonder what they didn't put in? If they didn't put in different strokes, you have to wonder what else they missed on this list. What about the facts of life? I guess not. It's on there. Oh, is it? Yeah. But he also still has something forthcoming that he was working on. I can't remember what it was called. I'm going to look it up real quick. But there's a show coming that I know because of following George Wallace on social media that he was working on. And Norman Lear was going to be a producer. And I've got the article here. This is from Deadline.com. Laverne Cox and George Wallace comedy Clean Slate, produced by Norman Lear, gets Amazon Freebie series order. And that was September 6th of 2022. I don't know what's happened with this show, where it's at production-wise, but basically, George Wallace plays Laverne Cox's father. Laverne Cox had left home when they were they become estranged, and Laverne Cox returns home. George Wallace thinks his son is returning, but Laverne Cox is now his daughter. And it's a comedy, and I absolutely adore George Wallace. I think he is absolutely hilarious. And knowing that Norman Lear was behind it, I have a lot of faith in the integrity of the show and how well it will be portrayed. And it will be done with humor, which always makes things easier to take for some reason. But I really do want to see this show, so I hope it's still in the works. I guess we'll find out in time. Yes, even searching it, that's still all that's coming up. September 6, 2022. I see the writer's strike did something to it. Well, here's one from Deadline on March 24th. As DK Uzaku. Tilma Hopkins, Jay Wilkinson, and Noah Murphy as series regulars. Uh, I apologize if I got any of those names right, wrong, because I'm sure I did. And still no no mention of a projected date or anything on there. But it, I mean, it really does sound like a great show. And it says... And again, I apologize for the pronunciation of the name. Uzapu will play Lewis, a closeted gay choir director at the local church who the older female congregants insist on trying to fix up. He's a close childhood friend of Desiree and the only person who gives her a genuinely heartfelt welcome home. And of course, Desiree is played by Laverne Cox. Hopkins will play Ella, Lewis's mother, a no-nonsense jack-of-all-trades who has known Harry for much longer than either of them would like to admit. She lives with Lewis and is fully aware her son is gay, but they haven't talked about it. And Harry is played by George Wallace. 
Murphy will play Opal, the confident and industrious tween who works alongside her father at the car wash when she's not plotting to become the next billionaire. She bonds with Desiree over her dreams of one day getting out of Mobile. Cox and Wallace wrote the story with Dan Ewan, who penned the feature film Playing with Fire. Ewan, who wrote the pilot script, executive produces with Cox and actors Lear and Brent Miller. Wallace and Paul Hilepo are producers. So, definitely looking forward to that. And so, we do still have one thing coming from Norman Lear. And it sounds like another gem. But with that, I believe we are done with the first half. So we will... I've, I watched Merry Little Batman. I didn't have Paul watch it, so I'm going to talk about it briefly. We're going to discuss the new Christmas CD from Cher, the TV movie Silent Night with Linda Hamilton, the Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and I was able to watch Leave the World Behind with Julia Roberts. So we'll be talking about all that when we return. Stay tuned, everybody. Okay. First up, let's do the top 10 films from the weekend of December 8th through the 10th, according to boxofficemojo.com. I'm going to start with 11, just because I want to clear up a little bit of confusion. The We're going to be talking about the film Silent Night from years past. It was a TV movie starring Linda Hamilton. At number 11, down from 9 last week, is Silent Night, where he got his tongue cut out and can't talk. So that's where this one is. But Silent Night is surprisingly doing really bad. Like, I thought it would do a lot better than this. In its second week, it dropped from 9 to 11, $1.7 million for a grand total so far of less than $6 million total. What is the budget? That I will have to look up. You can you can keep going. I'll look at that. Keep going. Well, I've already started. Oh, so because you asked me, and I forget that you can look things up while it's generating on Google. I'll continue down from eight to ten is the shift, which I'm really not sure what it is. Two point one million in its second weekend for almost eight and a half million dollars total. Down from seven to nine is Animal. Again, I don't know what it is. Almost two and a half million in its second weekend for 11 and three quarter million total. Debuting at number eight is Waitress the Musical. Over two and a half million dollars in its first weekend. The first five day totals, three and a quarter million dollars. Down from six to seven is Napoleon. Third weekend is 4.1 million for a grand total of 53 million. And I know what that one is, and I'm just not overly thrilled about it. Did you have any desire to see Napoleon? I want to see it. See, I'm, I'm just not bothered by it. 
down from five to six is Wish, the Disney movie, five point three million in its third weekend for just under forty nine and a half million dollars total. Down from first place to fifth place in its second week, Renaissance, a film by Beyonce, under five and a half million dollars in its second week, twenty eight and a half million dollars total. Now that's that's her, that's her concert tour. Yes. Yeah, number four holding steady is Trolls Band Together, six million in its fourth weekend for just under eighty-three million dollars total. Holding steady at three is Godzilla minus one, over eight and a half million dollars in its second week for almost twenty-five point six million dollars. Holding steady at number two, The Hunger Games: The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, nine and three-quarter million in its fourth weekend for over one hundred thirty-five and a half million dollars, and debuting at number one is an anime. The Boy and the Heron, almost $13 million in its opening weekend. So not a strong box office weekend by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, I can't find the budget to that to that movie. Well, this is on Google. The 2023 film Silent Night had a production cost of less than $30 million. It grossed $6 million in the United States and just over $400,000 overseas, for a worldwide total of approximately $4.3 million. That's sad. I honestly think it looks pretty good. Hell, I think the fan-based film of um, Friday the 13th did better than that. (laughs) No, because it didn't release. Oh, come on. You gotta see the... the, Come on. Come on. There was no humor in that film. It was terrible. It was flat out awful. (laughs) Let's just be honest. (laughs) You know I'm going to always bring that film up. (laughs) I'm going to always dog that film because it was terrible. Oh, come on. It had a porn star in it. Come on. Yeah, that's such a thrill. And Jason did look realistic. And Jason did look realistic in it. I have tried to put that thing out of my mind altogether, so I don't remember what Jason looked like in it. It was so bad. But I'll I'll go ahead and discuss Merry Little Batman. Um, IMDb, after 993 reviews, 6.4 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes, 15 or 18 reviews, 94%. Audience score of 50 plus ratings, 77%. And honestly, I think that's high for this film. I wasn't real thrilled by the animation, but I was like, you know what? I'll give it a try. See what the story is like. It started off pretty good. I was amused by it. And the longer it went, the less interested I became. It just went on too long. This was an hour and a half film that should have been a 45 minute special. And what's even worse is apparently this is the starting point of a new Batman TV series on Amazon. So, yes, yet another Batman TV show because, you know, we don't have enough. I don't get it. It's just like Superman, you know, that Lois and Clark shit. I don't get it. Superman and Lois is a really good show, though. I will I will defend that one. That show is really good and really well done. And it's ending after four seasons. The fourth season is its final. Ten episodes is all we get in that season. 
I'm going to be sad. Paul's being an idiot and saying bye-bye to it. But I like that show a lot. I think they've done a lot of really good stuff with it. And I think if they had had a higher budget, they would have done a really amazing job with it. And it's very well received. Like, fans love it. So Okay, back to Batman. But the, the voice cast had some strong cast here. You had Brian George, which if you see his face, you'll know who he is. Um, James Cromwell played Alfred, which I love James Cromwell, but he didn't have a British accent, which bothered me. Like, Alfred should have a British accent. Like, Constantine should have a British accent, not Keanu Reeves. And then... Oh, that one, aren't you? Oh, I'm not a fan of the Constantine movie. The Constantine TV show with Matt Ryan was fantastic. It was a very accurate depiction of him. Wasn't there a new Constantine film that came out after this, after Keanu Reeves? Well, there was the Constantine TV series with Matt Ryan. I could swear off either it's coming out or they're working on it. He was, they're, they're supposed to be working on a sequel to the Keanu Reeves Constantine. That's it. Which is such a bastardization of the comics. Like, they really don't get it right. And Matt Ryan, he got it right. He came back for the Arrowverse. He was well-received on the TV show. They loved him so much that they even had him voice the character in animation on several different projects. But here in Merry Little Batman, James Cromwell voices Alfred. James Cromwell, fantastic actor. No British accent. I don't get it. And then Luke Wilson plays Batman. And Why how can you not sound familiar? What? Why does that name sound familiar? Luke Wilson. Luke and Owen Wilson are famous brothers. Luke Wilson, you remember the, the episode of the X Files where Mulder believed they were vampires and he told the story of the sheriff, and the sheriff was a big hick. And then Scully told the same story, and the sheriff was really well put together and educated and they had molders had buck teeth i don't remember that one oh it was such a great episode i, I but can't I remember did, but i did see where like i think a week or two ago it came up on my time hop or something where x-files premiered like so many years ago the very first episode did yeah it was 30 30 years ago 30 years ago, it's like two weeks ago or something like that when it premiered. I think it was in October. Bad Blood was the episode of the X-Files with Luke Wilson in it. Um, let's see if it has a hey, Where can all the X-Files um, be streamed at? I believe they're on Freebie right now. Yes, it's Amazon Prime free. It's also on Hulu with a subscription. Because I want to start watching us rewatching them again. And now, if you have a subscription to Hulu, it comes through on Disney Plus. If you have the beta version, like I do, somehow I got it. I don't know, but I watched the episode of the X Files: How the Ghost Stole Christmas on Disney Plus for Hulu. Still so showed the, ads, but so the Christmas that the the. the the X-Files Christmas one 
that we watched years ago for the show. Yeah. What's the name of it? How the Ghost Stole Christmas. Lily Tomlin and Ed Asner are the ghosts. Yeah, yeah, send that over to me because I want to rewatch it. And I love that episode. I watch it every year. Because I actually liked that episode. Yeah. Text that over to me to get off and let me know and I'll watch it. But Merry Little Batman, it's it's basically Batman is sent on a mission for the Justice League because nobody else is available and his son Damien wants to go with him. Damien wants to be Batman and he starts getting into all kinds of mischiefs and just burglars descend on the estate and he fights them off and they steal his utility belt and he wants to go get the utility belt back and like it starts off good and then just really trails quickly if they'd have cut this in half it might have been a really good special but I just I got bored as it went along but if this is going to be a series this is probably going to suck uh, the series may be better because it'll be shortened to 30 minute episodes. Like I said, if they'd have cut this thing down, it would have been a lot better. But it's played up for comedy, and I don't know. It just, like I said, it starts out good, but loses promise so quick. And with that, we'll move on to the movie Silent Night with Linda Hamilton. IMDb has it 7.5 out of 10 with 1,800 reviews. The Rotten Tomatoes has no critics review, but audience score 1,000 plus ratings, 83%. This is based on a true story of a mother who took her son to a cabin that was located on the front lines of World War II. While they're in the cabin on at Christmas, on Christmas Eve, three American soldiers showed up. And then three German soldiers showed up. And she ended up bringing a truce and having peace for Christmas Eve. And the story is really, really good. It's very it's, interesting. And the, the only <laughs> issue I had with this film is because it was a TV movie, the writing was not as good as it could have been. Because this was done in 2002. You were starting to get a better quality of writing on TV. But this, like this, this story could benefit from being remade for a feature film I'd with be, really good writing. I didn't find an issue with the writing. I thought it was really good. The, the writing was good. It could be stronger, is what I'm saying. But um, for a movie to, like, you know, made-for-TV movie, to grab me within first 10 minutes must be really good. And it actually really grabbed my attention, and I didn't want to stop watching it once I started and, watching it. And, you know, I've talked about how much I really enjoy World War II stories. I love watching them. I mean, it's... Well, a terrible time in history, but it's so fascinating to watch. It is because them fucking Germans were damn smart, man. Lord, and this, this, like I said, it's it's a really good TV movie. Oh, 
hold on. But, Let me word that. The the Nazis, excuse me, were smart. Um, I mean, anytime the History Channel shows anything to do with World War Two, and it shows Nazi mega machines and stuff like that, I am sucked in. I'm not doing anything the rest of the day. I'm right there on the television. I'm watching every darn episode of it. There is so much I want to see. I want to go to... I want to go to Germany. I want to go to um, Austria. I want to see all that over there. I want to see all that. You can actually tour the bunkers from the Nazis. You can do all that. I want to see it all. Well, I'm, I'm still planning to go to the secret areas. Yeah, I want to go see that. So that, that is a, a definite on my list to do. Yeah. So, so. Um, it is a really good movie. It's... Um, Especially how it ended up. So, uh, and I'm not going to say why, but you find out why she takes her son to the cabin as the movie progresses. Yeah. So they, they do explain everything. So the writing's not weak by any stretch of the imagination. It's just like what I'm saying is imagine somebody like Steven Spielberg get a hold of this story and make it into a feature film. You see what I'm saying? It, what and it could the, be, and add like real good special effects and stuff like that. Well, to you, it. you don't even need special effects. Like the the story can be a very low budget film, but you can really embellish it with the writing and like the writing is good. But oh, I could see so much better with this. Like just so much more they could do. Well. Between you and me, they'll probably never do that. But it, it was a good story, and it's based on a true story. And I'm glad that the woman could bring them together. And at the very end, when they were shaking hands and, you know, exchanging things, but and they tried, the Americans tried to get those soldiers to go with them. So, but not as prisoners, but as colleagues. That would have been something else if they wouldn't. But they did take that one kid, and I like that. Yeah. It's it's a it's a great ending. You you see the compassion from both sides, which you see in a lot of World War Two stuff. Like I mentioned, the show World on Fire even had the Nazi soldier tell the doctor and his boyfriend, "You may want to get out of Paris because yeah. the Nazis are coming. You may want to get out." Like they didn't tell him they were dating. But you, you got the gist. That soldier knew exactly what they were. That soldier yeah. was fully himself, the, the way I took it. But they never did expand on that character. He just he told them, you might want to get out. I'm warning you now. And But in World on Fire season one was so good. I just cannot say enough. But this one, like you've got Linda Hamilton, who is very well known. Of course, she's Terminator. She was Chuck Small on now, the TV. Back in 2002, that was during her Terminator days. So she's like the head of her career. Well, that was the return to the Terminator days. Yeah. Because she was not in Terminator 3, was she? No, she didn't come back to Terminator for a while. She was in a lot of the Terminator films, but I can't remember which ones. It was Terminator she two. And then I don't think she was in the third one. 
And then she came to the Hickory Furniture Mart and bought furniture. <laughs> I'll never forget that for walking through the showroom. And Scudder and and known for on IMDb Terminator 1984, Terminator 2, 1991, Terminator Dark Fate in 2019. Chuck TV series, she was 12 episodes. So, Terminator Salvation in 2009, she was in that one. So it looks like she was in four Terminator films. So, okay, cool. But, and she's been in some really good stuff. Some, like A Mother's Prayer, I can't remember the story, but I remember liking it when I saw it. And of course, Chuck, I absolutely loved. And she was on the Beauty and the Beast TV show. I remember that. I never did watch it, but I know people loved it. It was really good. I watched it. Yeah, so uh, the other actors I don't think ever really made a name for themselves. James McGowan, maybe. That name sounds kind of familiar, but that's the only recognizable name I'm seeing on here. You have Matthew Harbour, Romano Orzari, Alan Gallum, Golem, Michael Elkin, Martin Newfield, Mark Anthony, Mark Anthony Krupa, Cassian Bopp, James McGowan, Michael Sinelnikov, Vi Nystrom, Gianpaolo Venuda, and Harold Winter. But I I would definitely recommend this. I've got it on my YouTube channel, but I'm also going. There's also you can watch it on. Tubi currently, according to Google. It's on Crackle. It's on the Roku channel for free. It's on Freebie. It's on Plex. So you can you can definitely see this film out there. And I highly suggest that you do. Alright, this one again, we talked about it last time where not every Christmas movie needs to be a romance. And this is not a romance. This is a wartime story. But it's yeah. a true Christmas feel because of the peace pact that this mother gets from both sides. And, and this is something they need to look at instead of Hallmark thinking, oh, we need to make 85 romance films a year. Don't care how we write them because they're all just a carbon copy of each other. No, let's, let's get something besides a romance out there. There's lots of stories you can tell. Like, sitcoms don't do romance, but they find ways to work Christmas in. Yeah. But with that, I think we'll move on to the new album from Cher. It is simply titled Christmas. And I was introduced to this album. Well, I knew it was coming out, but the first I heard was when Cher performed DJ play a Christmas song on Macy's Thanksgiving Macy's Day Parade. Parade. Yeah. And I heard her performing it and I was like, yeah, I'm buying that CD. It's a really good song. Honestly, this is some of Cher's best stuff in years. Like, it's a really good album. And you have what Christmas means to me 
which was, of course, a Stevie Wonder hit with Stevie Wonder. She performed yeah. with him on this album. Um, another one, Christmas Baby Please Come Home with Darlene Love. Unfortunately, Michael Bublé is on here. I wasn't real thrilled with Home with him. I was not real thrilled with Drop Top Sleigh Ride featuring Tyga. But another very recognizable song on this little CD, Put a Little Holiday in Your Heart featuring Cindy Lauper. Of course. So you know I'm going to love that one. You know, her and Sandy will forever be together because look how much they toured together. Oh, and that's when I saw Cher. Cindy was the opening act. I took yep. mom for her birthday because they came to Greensboro Coliseum. The show actually was on my mom's birthday. So I got to take my mom for her birthday on her birthday to see Cher. Wow. And it was a great show. Great memory. It was just the two of us road trip from Hickory to Greensboro got to talk on the car all the way there, got to enjoy the show, enjoy dinner. I mean, it was a great night. So, yeah. every, time I, every time I went and seen Cher, she is always put on a great concert. I have seen her probably in concert about six times. And each time, it's just amazing. Because she sings all her shows. She don't lip sync nothing. Well, I, I'm reading the sticker off of this the CD because I haven't opened it yet. I've listened to it on Spotify, which gives her more money. So, you know, that's fine. But it says, Share Christmas, her first ever Christmas album. This is the part that I love. Tear up the town on a candy cane high and get ready to roll. That is cute. That's just share for you. But yeah, if, if you... And that's another thing. She does do some remakes on here, obviously. And she does do some traditional. But she does a lot of original stuff. Now, Angels in the Snow, the first time I ever heard that, and the only other version I know of is Olivia Newton-John. I don't yeah. know if it's an original by Olivia, but I don't remember Cher's version of it. Um, but the, the songs are DJ Play a Christmas Song, What Christmas Means to Me with Stevie Wonder, Run Rudolph Run, Christmas Baby Please Come Home with Darlene Love, Angels in the Snow, Home with Michael Buble, Drop Top Sleigh Ride with Tyga, Please Come Home for Christmas, I Like Christmas, Christmas Ain't Christmas Without You, Santa Baby, Put a Little Holiday in Your Heart with Cindy Lauper, and This Will Be the, Our Year. And of course, Santa Baby... My introduction to that was Madonna. Madonna's incomparable in my book. Cher's version is good. It's just not my Madonna version. But the original was Eartha Kitt. You can't forget Yes, I know it. this. But like I said, Madonna's the one that I was introduced to it with. And you, you know, know, it's been remade many times after Madonna made it, but it, I don't know if anybody remade it until Madonna remade it. Oh, it's been remade a lot. If you go look but on... Because um, Madonna did it in the 80s. And I'm after it's been remade a lot, but I don't think anybody from Eartha Kit to Madonna actually remade it. No, no, nobody that I know of. Um, you don't have Apple Music. I was going to say, go to Apple Music. You can see how many stars has remade this song. Because my manager at work, she was wanting to put Santa Baby as her ringtone. 
it's not available as a ringtone. It's available as a song download. But Eartha Kitt's version of Santa Baby is available as a, a ringtone, but not Madonna's version of Santa Baby. So I find that kind of strange. But you can find like a hundred other artists that's covered Santa Baby, and it's just crazy how many people's covered it. But, um, but yeah, I love Madonna's version of that song. And then you know, of course, Eartha Kitt's. I like hers. <laughs> well, on on Wikipedia, and granted, it's not the most accurate, but it's Madonna version. Kylie Minogue version, Kelly Pickler version, Taylor Swift version, Michael Bublé version, Ariana Grande version, Trisha Yearwood version, Gwen Stefani version. Oh, there's more out there than that. Oh, RuPaul did it. I wish it said every version of it, but I'm not seeing it on here. I can pull up Apple Music. If you, if you want to, because those are the only ones that I'm seeing listed. There's, yeah, it just goes to references after those versions. So, but okay, you ready? <laughs> yep. Uh, Michael Bublé, Eartha Kitt, Glee, Kelly Pickler. Share, um, LNA, um, Ariana Grande, Kelly Clarkson, Taylor Swift, Madonna, Lindsey Sterling, David Foster, and Catherine Somebody. Um, let's see, Alicia Keys, uh, Macy Gray, whoever the collective is, um, Tamar Braxton, The Transcenders, let's see here, Robbie Williams. Jane Krakowski, and there's more. I'll go to click on more, but I think I'll stop there. So yeah, it's there's lots of versions on Apple Music here. And the ones that I recognized were definitely after Madonna. Um, Glee did a really good job with it, I think. The I've got Billboard.com ten best versions of Santa Baby. You got Eartha Kitt, then Madonna. Then RuPaul, then Kylie Minogue, the Pussycat Dolls. I cannot imagine them having oh, a good version. Right. Pussycat Dolls did it too. Cynthia Bassinet from 2006, Kelly Pickler, Tamar Braxton, uh, Ariana Grande, and Liz Gillies, Gwen Stefani, and that's theirs. So all of those, it's Eartha Kit, then Madonna, because those are in order, it looks like. Yeah. RuPaul was 97, Madonna was 87. So I'm going to keep that article up because I'm just curious to hear what RuPaul sounds like. You can actually listen to it on here. It was on RuPaul's Ho 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 album. Yeah. But but anyways, the, again, the share CD, like I said, I think it's some of the best stuff she's done in years. Like, I did not care for her ABBA covers album. I didn't really care for her performance in Mamma Mia. But this Christmas CD is fantastic. 
with some misses on it, but still, it's a fantastic. It just scene. goes to show. I mean, her, um, Dolly Parton. They just keep cranking out the music. They adjust to their fan base. They just, you know, they're just they're keeping themselves relevant, and I like that. <clears throat> and back to what I was talking. Like I mentioned, the three over seventy-five females that hit number one this year. But it's been the year of the woman, really. Barbie, the number one film at the box office. Taylor Swift, the huge success story that she is this year. Beyonce has been extremely successful this year. Madonna re-solidified herself on the Guinness Book of World Records that we talked about a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You know, it's women are taking over this year, and it's great. Like, I have no problem with that. Don't forget Janet Jackson's tour this year as well, but She's not. Well, it didn't really make any headlines because I did not remember it. Well, she's not cranking out big stadiums like Beyonce and um, Taylor does, but she does smaller venues. Or Madonna. Like I said, Year of the Woman. Yeah. And Barbie alone, who, who thought, I mean, really, who would have expected Barbie to hit the billion dollar level that it hit? I never thought that that would happen, but who was that that, that quoted that said that it's going to be a billion dollar movie? That was Margot Robbie. The star of the film told yeah, Margot Robbie that it's going to be a billion dollar movie, and it did. And I, I didn't think it would, but but that I believe is our the end of our Christmas run. So we'll move on to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny because it's a little bit older. Then we'll end with the the brand new movie that just hit Netflix. But Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny just came to Disney Plus a couple weeks ago. And according to Google, Walmart gives it a 5 out of 5. IMDb website, 151,000 reviews, 6.6 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter, 411 reviews, gives it a 69%. The audience score with over 10,000 verified ratings, 88%. And this is where the audience got it right. I think I told Paul that this one definitely makes up for Crystal Skull. I love this one. Crystal Skull was terrible. This one was such a good story. And again, goes back to World War II. The the effects they did to de-age Harrison Ford were amazing. I was... Okay, I watched it with two other friends this weekend. And we were just dumbfounded at the technology, how they de-aged him. Because it looked like he was just got done with the crystal skull and went right into filming this. That one part. I mean... The comedy there, the action was there, the storyline was there. I'm the only thing that was missing was short round. Yeah, short round. That would have been good. But he was at the premiere of it. Short round was there. But and there there was a, a nice I'm, I don't want to mention it because it's it's a fun little nod to will there be another movie or not at the very end of the film there was no post credit scene by the way when the credits rolled that's it Um, but I I did like that I'll I'll talk to you about it later just to to see because I made a comment when it happened and 
So I want to talk to you about that. Like I said, I don't want to spoil it for people because it was it was a fun little moment there. The, but, this movie was amazing. An, Antonio Bondaris was the one that was the least recognizable. Like it, it took me a second to figure out who he was. I was like, is that Antonio Bondaris? And it sure was. Which one are you talking about? He was on the ship. It was Ronaldo. It was his, his, his character name. Antonio Banderas. Yeah. Antonio Banderas. Okay, I've never heard his name pronounced like that, but anyway. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, that was him. Um, John Reese Davies made his return. Also, his wife made a return. Yep. She shows up towards the end of the film. Yep. Phoebe Waller-Bridge was really good as Helena. I mean, it's, it's a very strong script. It's a very well-acted film. The action is great. The chases, the... Oh, my gosh. odds to the old films For the... with the guns being pulled and all that. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's, it's so like good. They're jumping from vehicle to vehicle and, you know, those tatas going through the streets and chasing and, you know... It was amazing. It was like classic indie, and I couldn't get enough of it. The- I really don't know why the why the critic score was so low on this sixty nine percent. Why this didn't do more at the box office? It deserved to do more at the box office. Well, this- nothing is going real well at the box office, and this one, I think, because honestly, you know, I I wanted to watch it, but it was almost a chore to turn it on. Because Crystal Skull was that bad. Like, I, I didn't think it was going to recover. And I was gladly proven wrong because this was a really good version. Well, but, I'm a forever indie fan. I don't care if it's bad or good. I love me some indie. Yeah, but you got to admit, Crystal Skull was terrible. Crystal it was just Skull sucked, yes, but I still enjoyed it. And that's what I'm saying. That's, that's the last impression we'd had. So glad we got this one to wash the taste out of our mouth because we can't wait to watch this film again. That's how fun this film is because there's just so much going on in it. It's so action packed. And and maybe one day I'll go back and watch all of them in order, including Crystal Skull, because I have not been able to watch Crystal Skull again. Like I watched it at the theater one time and I've never wanted to see it again. But this goes back to classic indie. There's comedy in it. There's action in it. There's there's Nazis. Nazis, you know, he's fighting Nazis again. I mean... And yeah. I just I want to point out something. The de-aging on Harrison Ford. Flawless. It's, it's like Harrison Ford from Blade Runner. That's what he looks like. Flawless. Like, completely flawless. The same film company same film company that did this did that piece of crap Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania that had horrible effects. How? How do you do that? Well, it looks like they spent more time on Indiana Jones. They did. Well, I mean, honestly, it's like it seems like it would be harder to get him perfect because of the movements of his body. Like yeah. you, you're having to follow him to de-agent. I, I, I honestly don't get it. I remember the interview he gave, I think it was Entertainment Tonight about wanting to redo, wanting to go back to Indiana Jones and he said, I want to go back and do it 
while I'm physically able to still do it. So he did it. Yeah. And look, like I said, this this really paid off. It was really well done. Highly recommend this one. If you have Disney Plus, go watch it. If like I said, if you hated Crystal Skull like I did, give it, this one a chance. Because I it's, love this movie. I love this movie so much. I could instantly get off of here. And start watching it again after the show and watch it. It doesn't seem like it's two hours and 36 minutes long. It went by like that. And and see, that was the other thing. It's coming off Crystal Skull, and then you got a two and a half hour film. <clears throat> do I really want to sit through two and a half hours of that after Crystal well, Skull? It, you do. It, you really, really do. It really went by like quickly. And before you know it, the movie was over with you. You're just totally sucked into this one. <clears throat> Man, I, I think we've, we've pretty definitely, much this, one, this so. is definitely rewatchable. Oh my God. Yes. But yes, I guess. And what well, now, how much did it end up doing? Chris world? That I don't know. Let me. Well, hell I could look it up. I'm pull sorry. Up a box office mojo here. If I'm not mistaken, I think it did 360 worldwide. 380. Domestic was 45 and 45.4% of the gross, 174 million dollars International was 54.6% of the gross, 209,482,589 dollars for a worldwide total. Almost three hundred eighty-four million, three eighty-three nine sixty-three thousand one and fifty-seven dollars. And the budget for this film was what two ninety? Uh, that I don't know. It was up there with an estimated. This is Google with an estimated production budget of two hundred and ninety-four point seven million dollars, not including marketing costs. It is the most expensive film in the Indiana Jones franchise, as well as one of the most expensive films ever made. Due to his expensive production costs and marketing budget, the film was deemed a box office bomb. See, that's what I don't understand. This was a fucking phenomenal film, and it deserved to do more. Well, there's a lot of films, and it goes back to COVID. You know, films were doing a lot better before COVID. Yeah, but there was a billion-dollar Barbie movie out before this one. And again, Barbie had the perfect storm. I've talked about that before. You had the Barbenheimer hype. You had the beloved Barbie doll. And then you had all the toxic masculinity offended by Barbie. And all the conservatives that were speaking out against Barbie, all of that added up to Barbie's huge success. And it pushed Oppenheimer to almost a billion dollars too. I don't think I don't think Oppenheimer quite hit, but it was over $940 billion last I saw. I wonder if they'd have waited on this film and brought it out at a different time. If if it hadn't had all of those factors, I don't think it would have hit a billion dollars. Because remember, um Tom Cruise sat on that Top Gun film for years before he let it go. So he ended up doing over a billion dollars of that film. 
but since COVID, films don't do as well, and people have learned, hey, it's going to be on streaming soon enough. I won't have to pay anything extra for it. And money's tight for people, I so... Did, I just hate that that film did not do better. And it, like I said, that is an excellent film. But that's, <clears throat> that's the way films are. Like, Shazam should have done better. Blue Beetle should have done a whole lot better because people who watched Blue Beetle really enjoyed it. Like, I think you finally watched it and liked it. I mean, it was, it was a very good film. Okay, but well, we've got interview internet reviews are bombing them because they want to hate them. They don't see them, they just bomb them. And yeah. that's what people read. And then, oh, well, I'll just wait for the. And that's that's part of what happened, Dial of Destiny. Another reason that I didn't really want to watch it so quickly. I had to force myself into watching it because I knew I needed to for the show, but I'm glad I did. So you can't always go by what people say. Yeah. But that brings us to the brand new film on Netflix. Metacritic has it at 67%. IMDb has it 6.6 out of 10 with 43,000 reviews. Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter, 110 reviews, 75%. Over a thousand ratings on the audience score, thirty nine percent for "Leave the World Behind" because I didn't mention the name at the beginning. But this film stars Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke, Mahershala Ali, and Kevin Bacon. Huge cast in just those right there. Yeah, I the the story is there's something happening that causes internet and TV signals to go down. Phones go down. They don't know what's going on. They're theorizing throughout the film what it might be. There's Mahershala Ali's character is mysterious in himself. They make it to where they have all kinds of questions with him. Like navigation systems go down. Everything. The the U.S. is just basically crippled. And The satellite goes out, uh, um, uh, phones go out. Um, did the electricity go out? I can't remember. It did for some and then others. But I do know that I remember seeing explosions going on in the city. It looks like they were close to, wasn't it New York? Yes. They, they, were, were, they were in a York. suburb of New York. Seeing explosions. I, I think they said that Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke, who were married and had two kids, I think they were living in Brooklyn, and she decided to rent a house and just go on vacation just spur of the moment that morning, which turned out to be fortunate for her. As you watch the movie, you see why. But it turns out to be Mahershala Ali's house, and he shows up late at night and tells them about the the blackout in New York City and that he can't climb the stairs 14 stories and so they came to his house even though they were staying there as a rental property. Yeah. And I think a lot of people just didn't pay enough attention to this film and that's why because Lamar was talking about how he didn't understand certain things and I was like they they explained it. Like the the deer did just a spoiler that's not a spoiler, really. It's 
the deer show up. They don't really explain what the deer are doing with the deer, but they do explain the situation because while Ethan Hawk gets out of his car, you see the radio actually comes in and they talk about how it's affecting animals and change the migration patterns and all of this. So they, they mentioned it in the film that something was going on with the animals with everything else that was going on. And yeah, the deer was really creepy in this, especially when they're standing outside that, I guess it was like some kind of hunting cabin in the woods or something. But, and just, there's a, I've got IMDB up here and it's previewing a movie with Octavia Spencer. So I'm going to have to find out what this is. This is brought to you by Coca-Cola. But, I'm going to have to find out what that movie is. It looked like a Christmas heist type movie. But anyways, back to Leave the World Behind. Girl. Um, yeah, kind of shiny. Ooh. But, <laughs> no, this, they do explain things as they go along, but you have to pay attention. Like they, they give you tidbits throughout because her phone comes up with reports, and then when she goes to show her husband, by the time he looks at it, the reports are gone. Oh. And they don't know who's doing this. And at the end, you finally figure out what the attack is and it explains it, but people missed it. And the only thing I'll say about the ending is it's completely open. What got me is I was sitting there, I was watching it, didn't realize it was getting to the end. And then I sat beside one of my friends, and then when they, when I, I forget exactly what they did at the, anyways, I reached over and I grabbed him like this. I said, oh my God, this is a perfect way to end it. And boom, they ended it. He said, how did you know that? I said, well, it's called a cliffhanger. <laughs> it's not very often you have cliffhangers in movies anymore. Because people don't like it. They don't like it when there's no ending to the movie. And there's no ending to this. Like it, you It's remember, still going when the movie ends. You remember Dynasty and Falcon Crest and all of those in Dallas. That's how they ended the season was with a cliffhanger to keep you hooked. To bring yeah. you back to the next season to see well, what Those you have a guarantee of the story continuing. This you don't have a guarantee there's going to be another story. Like, well, yeah, true. But this could be that, it. That, that's just to explain the cliffhanger, you know. But I, I, I saw something which I didn't read the article because I didn't care enough about Elon Musk. But there was a, a thing of Elon Musk makes a statement about the Tesla crash and leave the world behind. So when I saw it, I was like, huh, that makes me laugh. Oh, it's a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's a reason. And it's it's nothing politically stated. It's just it's a legitimate reason in the story. Well, the GPS satellites go out on everything, and that's well, what it, 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 don't be telling people everything. Well, we already said the GPS satellites go out, but they don't know what's going on here, so they'll they'll see. Well, they'll see. I'm, I'm happy to talk about how many Teslas crashed your net. But but anyways, I I really don't get the hate for this. Like I said, it's strong cast. It's, I would watch it again. And if, if you didn't understand it and didn't get all the details, watch it again. Give it another chance. Because it's, it's great storytelling. 
they really did a good job with this hunting. Now me, I won't watch it again. I'm a one time and done with this one. I mean, it, I'm not saying it wasn't a good film. It was a good film, but just really wasn't quite my cup of tea. I really wanted to see an alien land. I really wanted to see the reason why everything was happening, but I never did give a reason why. So that that was open-ended, and I didn't like that. I wanted to know why satellites, satellites, everything, everything went in. All the services went, and we never found that out. So. Yep, and that's the way the story was meant to be. Like they, they gave yeah, you reasons, but like you never got an official. I guess you're supposed to finish it up in your own mind what happened, but. My my toxic trait is, I want to know: was that aliens that took out our satellites? Was that a, a sunburst that took out our satellites? I don't know. Well, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here. So skating on thin ice, let me tell you, is so risky. I'm going to guarantee that you never have watched Christopher Nolan's film Memento with Guy Pierce. No, that is a movie that you see the movie. I've watched it at least five times. I still don't know what happened, and it's fantastic. Like it is a great film, but you, at the end of the movie, you have not a clue what the answer is, and there's not a sequel. That's it. It's kind of like Sixth Sense. By the end of the movie, whenever all of a sudden the last couple seconds of the movie, you're going, oh, you know, this, what? And your mind is going, it just blows. Your mind blows. I didn't get that with this film. So. Because they don't tell you. Like, I know. That's the thing. They tell you what happened. I wanted this to they intentionally leave open. Was it Bigfoot? Was it, you know, whatever. But. I, I I enjoy that in the film. I like having to come up with my own thoughts and ideas as to what happened. It, it gives you. We didn't really mention the really important producers of this movie. By the way, you haven't mentioned that. I don't remember who they are. Michelle and Barack Obama. Oh, that's right. That's who the producers are of this movie, and I. And for them to branch out and do a movie like this, that's actually really good for them to do that. But that, was their, that was their vision. I was I was scrolling down through Google and I, I came across this from dailymail.co.uk. I have to read this because it's just hilarious to me. Netflix users mercilessly mock, quote, triggered Elon Musk for whining about Tesla pileup scene in Julia Roberts' new movie, Leave the World Behind. Is he? I'm trying to see if it says what he said. He went to Twitter to says, and while many fans seem to love it, Elon took issue with one scene that showed a pileup of Teslas and took to social media to boast about his cars, prompting people to mock him with some claiming he quote clearly didn't watch the movie. It says. 
Teslas can can change from solar panels even if the world goes fully Mad Max and there is no more gasoline. That was his quote on Twitter. That has nothing to do with what happened. Exactly. There's that's so they're right. He clearly did not watch the movie. Their auto drive function kicked in, and with no GPS, they didn't have. But what gets me is the auto drive function operates on like nine cameras that surrounds the car and that should have stopped the car by seeing the cameras, but that didn't stop it either. So I don't understand. Uh, I, I think it was the way it should have been. And I mean, it makes the story more intriguing. Gives you a little bit of action in me, but the, the effects were great. Like there's no denying they've put money into those effects. Yeah. But, I would say they probably wrecked maybe real five, maybe five real Tesla X's, and those are about a hundred thousand dollars a piece. But the rest of those Teslas were CGI, had to be. But with that, I think we've gotten all the details in. I definitely would watch this again, not right away, but I would definitely watch it again. So the only way I'll watch it again is that they come out with a sequel to it. I'll have I, to go. Watch this one and then watch the sequel then. I enjoyed it. I like having to decide what's going to happen. Like, this is a reverse natural disaster film. Like, the, the typical natural disaster film story, this, they change it up. So I, I like that too. So, and I'm not going to say anything because it'll give too much away. But, but anyways, with that, any final words, Paul? Christmas is coming up. If you're spending time with family and friends, make sure they're not sick before you see them because RSV is going around. My coworker was out a week and a half with it. RSV. She lost her voice and everything. She was in bad shape. And, um, yeah, so... Be sure and make sure no one's sick at your family gatherings or you're going to be around anyone sick in a closed environment like inside of a house or a room for dinner or breakfast dinner, breakfast for Christmas or Yule or however you celebrate. Just um, make sure no one's sick because her little grandson was sick and he made her sick and she was pretty bad. Well, when you celebrate Christmas Kwanzaa, yeah, but yeah, I hope everybody has a good season. This is what the the eleventh, so the Christmas night would be our next scheduled. So we obviously won't be doing that. But I probably won't be doing anything. But <laughs> but we'll we'll see. We may we may end up recording that night. It, it just depends, because I, I don't know what my plans are yet, so. Who knows? We could have a glass of eggnog together. There we go. I don't drink eggnog. I'll drink me some tea. I'll drink the eggnog, and you can drink the tea. But anyways, until next time, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.
Yeah. Yep. I saw that. He goes. Well,